0: Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. About a month ago, I had a Bible, Fall Bible Conference at Strasbourg, and was assigned to speak on building convictions in our children. I wanted to bring one of those messages here this morning. And this this subject isn't just about children, but it's about each of us and building good, solid convictions. You know, our we think of it you know, in terms of thinking about our children. Our children are the church of tomorrow, and our children are the ones who will lead the church in the future. You know, time is coming when those of us who are in the age of leadership now are going to be the old gray-haired men that are no longer active and younger men are gonna have to step into that role and, and take that lead. And those are the children of today. And so if we want that to happen, if we want that transfer to have the result that we would like, we must be working today to build convictions in our children and in ourselves as well. I'd first like to consider what a conviction is. According to Merriam-Webster, a conviction is a strong persuasion or belief. The state of being convinced. So a conviction is something that we believe in. It's something that in our mind is concrete and non-negotiable. We're convinced that it is right. And you know our convictions—the convictions that we have—guide us as we go through life. They shape our decisions. And this is maybe kind of a, an imperfect example, but imagine someone who says that they have a that they have a conviction that they don't want to support large businesses and then you'd go to walmart next week and you'd see them pushing a cart through the local walmart is that what you'd expect no you would not expect that person that says that's their conviction to show up at walmart rather you'd expect to see them shopping at some little small local store instead So I use that crude illustration to point out that convictions are guiding principles that give us direction. And ultimately, in a lot of ways, where our convictions lie will determine the outcome, the final destiny of our life. And that's why they're so important. If your convictions are correct and they're in line with God's will, with God's word, your convictions will lead you to the point where you will eventually hear the commendation, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of, of thy Lord. But on the contrary, if you have convictions that are improper, if you have convictions that are based on your own selfish desire or based upon the pressures that come in from the world, your convictions could lead you to the point where you hear the words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. See, a lack of proper convictions will cause us to drift rather than to stand firm. And drift in the wrong direction will lead to eventual apostasy. I'd like us to consider this morning a couple biblical examples of people that had good, strong convictions and their lives were affected much by it. And we're not going to turn to these because these are all very familiar biblical examples. We've all known them from childhood up. First of all, I thought of Joseph. Joseph was a young man who I believe had some extremely deep-seated convictions in his life. I didn't look back to see, but I believe that Joseph was about 17 years old when he was taken captive uh, or sold into slavery there in, in Egypt. And he found himself in a foreign country away from everyone he knew, away from any safeguards that could have been in place to, to keep him on the straight and narrow way. And yet we see that he still lived by his convictions. We see that Joseph was a young man that was trustworthy. He was dependable. He had very upstanding Moral character. Moral character that helped him to avoid the pitfall of sin. And in a nutshell, we might say that Joseph was a man of integrity. But what was was the source of that character, that integrity that he had? Obviously, the source of that integrity didn't come from him feeding on his own fleshly desires. It's also obvious that he wasn't trying to, there. he wasn't there in Egypt in Potiphar's house and then later in the prison, he wasn't there trying to do things to kind of jab back a little bit. That, you know, I got this lot in life, it's not fair and I'm going to just get a jab in where I can. You know, that's, that's something that kind of it's human nature, you know, when things aren't going our way, it's easy to, to kind of you know, poke back a little bit. But Joseph wasn't like that. What was the difference? And we might say that, well, the difference was that he was serving God, and that's true. But I also believe that more than that, he had decided in his mind where his convictions were, what was right. And they guided him when he faced the difficult times. When he faced difficult things and choices that could have destroyed his life. They were his guide. You know, I think that if Joseph had just simply said, well, I'm here in Egypt, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to do, to do what I should. I think Joseph would have failed. But I believe that Joseph had something more than just a half-hearted, I'm going to do my best. I think Joseph had a determination that here are my convictions and I'm going to stand on them no matter if I'm here in Egypt or if I'm back in Canaan with the family. I believe that Joseph had conviction that he brought with him to Egypt And stood on that conviction. It wasn't something that he developed in the heat of the moment. Another example is Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wonderful examples of standing on conviction. These men stood by their conviction that they should not defile themselves with the king's food. They knew that this stand could cost them their lives and you know it was just about what food they ate was it that serious but they knew that God had said you shall not eat these certain things and they were willing to put their life on the line and stand on their conviction that they should obey God we also see later Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing by their convictions that they should only worship the Lord when they faced that test of, of being commanded to bow down to an idol. And again, it was a life and death situation. They were going to be thrown into a blazing fiery furnace if they disobeyed the king. But yet they said, no, we have convictions against that. Throw us into the fire if you'd like. They didn't decide that in the heat of the moment. They had somewhere along the line developed some strong conviction of how they should live. You know, as a child, I don't don't know how I understood everything as a child, but you know... I guess children today still have some of these funny thoughts. But I hear that story and I'd wonder why, you know, why didn't they just pretend to bow down? So, so this didn't have to be such a big issue. They could have just pretended to bow down. They didn't have to really worship the idol. But you know what that would have been? That would have been Compromise. And I am convinced that compromise is one of the uh, one of the things that works the hardest against conviction. Compromise will erode the foundation of conviction if we allow it to. Because it eats out a little bit, it undermines that foundation a little bit. And a little bit more and a little bit more, and a little bit more, until that foundation is no longer on something solid, and it will crumble. So where do convictions come from? If we need to have strong convictions, how do we get them? Where do we find conviction for ourselves? Well, first of all, I want to point out that I believe that we are all born with conviction. Because we're all born convinced and convicted that I am the center of the universe. You know, a little child, a little baby, is convinced that they should get what they want and they should get it now. They should get it when they want it. That's a strongly held belief, and it shapes their choices and decisions. But yet it's the job of us as parents to work with that child and to change that conviction to what we would call a proper conviction, that they aren't the center of the universe. Have you ever seen a child that is older? You may be five years old or 10 years old, or Maybe even older than that, who still has that conviction that they're the center of the universe. I think we've all seen that, and it's a not a pretty picture. And sometimes you observe these types of situations in a public setting, and it's it's almost embarrassing to even be present. It's because of an improper conviction. But did you know that it's possible for adults to have that same problem? Proverbs 16:25 says, "There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death." So see we as adults can have convictions. We can be convinced of something that's not right. It's not proper. And in the end, it leads to death. And I believe that the death that the writer of Proverbs is speaking of there is not physical death, but eternal death. I want us to understand that we can have convictions as adults. We can have convictions that are not good. Convictions that are detrimental to us spiritually. Convictions that will lead us away from the Lord instead of closer to Him in His way of of life. And that's our natural bent. That's how we're, like I said, that's how we're born. Our parents try to train it out of us. But it keeps wanting to creep back in because we're men and women of flesh. We need to realize, and I've said this here before, I think that our flesh cares nothing about the eternal. Our flesh cares about the physical, the today, the here, the the now, the present moment. So we need to realize as Christians, when we're talking about building convictions and passing them on, we have to be focused on godly convictions, not, not the things that are convenient today, but the things that have eternity in view. Things that will lead us to our eternal life in Christ. We need in ourselves as well as in our children to root out any of those wrong convictions that are rooted in the old nature. Or things that are learned from the world around us. I don't have many scriptures this morning. You don't have to turn to these. I have them written in my notes. Romans 12, two, another very familiar passage. And be not conformed to this world. And I'd like to paraphrase that just a little bit. Do not have their convictions. Do not have the convictions of the world. But be ye transformed but the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So see, there's some things we need to get rid of. Some inclinations we need to get rid of. And be transformed so that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we can prove through experience that God's way is right. That's living out godly conviction. So, how are we going to develop? You know, we get, we can strive to get rid of those the bad convictions that we naturally have, the the the, the desire to do what our flesh wants. But how do we do we develop good things? several ways that I'd like to talk about this morning. And the first is I believe that and these aren't ordered in, in order of importance. These are just as they came to me in my study. First, I believe that we can build convictions based on other people's convictions, other people's lives. Through our observation, through peer pressure, I don't know if we realize enough how much other people have an impact on our lives. i want to use an example. This is talking about other people's influence and peer pressure. I'm gonna look at it a little bit from the negative side and then we're gonna look at it from the positive side. But I want to use an example of driving up Interstate 81. You get out on 81, once you get out of the city of Harrisonburg, the speed limit is 70. And if you were driving up 81 and everybody was going 70 miles an hour and no faster, Would you have a problem driving 70 miles an hour, obeying the speed limit? I'm guessing that you would just very easily just fit right in and drive 70 miles an hour. But in reality, when you go out on 81 and you hit the 70 mile an hour sign and you speed up to 70, it's going to seem like 90% of the traffic is going past you at 5 to 10 miles an hour faster than what you're going. What effect does that have on your mind? You know, the, the input of other people, that physical experience of driving 70 miles an hour and having what seems like 90% or more of the people on the road passing you, I can guarantee you will influence you to think that maybe you should be going a little faster as well. See, the the input of those around us has a, a direct impact upon us. And by the way, I was thinking about that illustration yesterday, and I thought, you know, So if if you're driving up the interstate and you're going 70 miles an hour and you feel like everybody's passing you, you don't see all the other people that are going 70 because they're not passing you, and you're not passing them. And so you're out there and you feel like that 90 or 95% of the people are going 75 or 80, but in reality you're only seeing the people that are breaking the speed limit. Just keep that in mind there might be a lot more of them back behind you than you have in front of you and you have any idea. But my point is, is that the input of other people has a tremendous impact in how we view things. Back to Romans 2, the first part of Romans 2. Be not conformed to this world. Don't have their convictions. And that's our tendency is we see what's going on around us and, and we wanna shape our convictions according to what we see around us. It's important that we realize that because it have a very negative effect or positive if it's a good influence on our lives and the lives of our children. And this is a little bit of a side note, but that is why there is so much concern being raised these days about social media. Social media has given anybody that has an opinion or a bad attitude or whatever it is to go forth and spew whatever they want to Whoever will listen. And it's exposing many people to negative peer pressure that is working to shape their convictions, towards the group think of the world, towards the group think of ungodly people, rather than to shape it according to the word of God. And it's dangerous not only for our children, but brothers and sisters. It's dangerous for us as well as adults. We need to carefully guard ourselves and our children against these influences of the world around us. But we need to be guarding ourselves as well. Because if we don't, we're going to find our convictions slowly moving towards that mold that the world is trying to press us into. We should never be basing our convictions on what's popular or what others in society say is the right way. And it's not just social media. We could talk about podcasts, talk radio, printed literature, and so forth, even, even just friendships. Who, who we're associating with at our jobs, what we're listening to. I just say, parents, if you want to build good, solid biblical convictions in your children, you need to be very aware of these influences in their lives and in your life as well. If you're allowing yourself as a parent to be influenced by the thinking and the convictions of the world around you, you're giving your children direct direction on where to go for the guiding principles in their lives. But just as peer pressure and, and influence of others can be negative, it can also be positive as well. Proverbs 27:17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That sounds positive, and it is. We hear so much about negative peer pressure that sometimes we forget about the positive. As we relate to and observe others who have godly convictions, it can be something that builds us up, builds our children up, challenges, challenges us to a higher level, ourselves. makes me think again of the example of of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego when they refused to eat the king's meat. How much stronger do you think that those four young men were because there was four of them who had the same conviction than if they would have had to stood singly? Maybe they would have stood by themselves. But I have to believe that the group, building each other up, <coughs> relying on the, the, the positive influence and input of one another, was a blessing to those young men. Fellowship with other Christians can help to develop and deepen good convictions. It's been said that we become personally, or or that 90% 90 of what we become personally is the average of the five people we associate with the most. And I challenge you, think about the five people that you associate with the most and say, do I want that average, is, is that how I want to live? That is, that is the strength of influence. Are you associating with people, and are your children associating with people who are building up good godly convictions that are shaping you or pushing you into a godly mold instead of into the mold of the world? Our greatest influence should be coming from our church, from those of like faith and practice, if we want to maintain and to build good godly convictions. We can also experience positive influence in building convictions through reading good literature. I just related the stories from the Bible of Joseph, of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We never knew those men, but yet we have their stories recorded. And we can read them, and we can be blessed by their example, and it can help to build conviction in my life. So we need to fill our minds and the minds of our children with good things with the accounts and examples of godly people who have gone before, who have set an example for us. Another thing we can do as parents, I'm not necessarily pushing this for younger children, maybe for older ones, is you know that we have a tremendous opportunity that has just become available in the last several years for our people. And that is that a lot of our churches post podcasts of their Sunday morning messages. And so if you're not getting enough spiritual food, there is no excuse for you to turn somewhere other than to good, solid, conservative Mennonite preaching that is available to each and every one of us that has internet access. And I just want to see a show of hands. How many of y'all listen to any other messages from our churches through the week? Praise the Lord. Good scattering of hands. I have been making it a practice to try to listen to at least one other message from one of our churches every week. Sometimes I get in two or three. But strive to do at least one. And it is good, solid, biblical, spiritual food and I have been tremendously blessed. you want to build good convictions? Continue to fill your minds with that kind of teaching instead of the teaching of the world. Another way we develop convictions is through knowledge of God's Word and the aid of His Spirit. We read God's Word. We come to church to be instructed. And we, our minds start to understand more and more what God's desire is for His people. What well, His desire is for me. <coughs> you know, God has revealed Himself through His Word so that we can know Him and His will. And as we read it and we study it and as we're taught it, we'll start to develop convictions. You know, if we didn't have recorded in God's word that he says that you're to love your enemies, I don't think any of us would ever develop a conviction to love our enemies. But it's because of the command that God gives and our understanding as we read it that we develop that conviction and then we can put it into practice. So we need to be reading and knowing and studying the scriptures. And along with that, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work because as we Open ourselves up to the scriptures. The Holy Spirit will come along and start to nudge us and say, you know, you aren't thinking correctly on this subject. You have room to grow over here. Gives us opportunity to then develop convictions on some of these things. that Maybe we didn't have convictions on before. Another way we develop convictions in ourselves as well as in our children is through obedience. And I ask, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, but have you ever heard someone say, I don't want to do such and such because I don't have a conviction for it. But I want us to consider this morning that obedience builds conviction. And I believe that it is often through obedience that we sometimes build our strongest convictions. Anyone who refuses to obey because they lack like conviction is severely limiting their ability to ever develop conviction in that area. And I want to use a little imaginary illustration here. It's I say imaginary, it's it could be real. It's not coming from our family. It's it's made up from that uh, it, from that point, but I want to think about this in regards the, between like a, a parent and a child. So imagine that you're a parent and you have a child who has a bedroom that looks like a tornado has went through, and it is an absolute disaster zone. And you go to that child and you say, you know. I want you to clean up and straighten up your room. This is ridiculous. It needs to look better than this. and you, you, you need to straighten it up so you can find the things that you need. Imagine if you did that and that child looked at you and said, well, I don't have a conviction for a clean room. And so I'm not going to do it until I develop a conviction. Would we accept that a child? I certainly hope that none of us as parents ever would. But you know, we turn around and we tell God that. We turn around and we tell our church leaders that. That child is never going to develop or very unlikely that they will ever develop a conviction for a neat and orderly room apart from being required and expected to obey their parent when they're told to clean it up. But then after they clean it, and probably after they do it again and again and again, you know, these things take a good while to get the message across sometimes, they start to understand that there is a blessing in having things neat and orderly and in their place. and maybe they build a conviction that this is the right way to do it. In the same way, if we want to build good, godly, biblical convictions, we need to obey. When God says that we should do something, we should obey. When our godly church leaders say we should do something, we should obey. And in doing so, we will give ourselves the opportunity to build conviction. I ask, do you think that obedience was a foreign concept to Joseph or to Daniel or to Daniel's three friends? I believe that they had learned obedience early in life. And I believe that that is what guided them in building the convictions they had, that they were able to stand in those moments of intense pressure. And parents, if you don't get anything else this morning out of this message, I believe that this is one of the most important things that we can do for our children to help them to be able to build godly convictions is to help them from an early age to learn obedience so that that they can then through obedience find the blessing of the practice and build conviction. So often I believe that practice comes before conviction even though we would wish it to be the other way around. There's things that sometimes we're told we should do and it feels awkward for us to do them. And so we resist. But it is through the practice that we can then understand the blessing. And when we understand the blessing, then we can build a conviction. So there may be other ways that we can develop convictions, but I believe that these these things we've talked about this morning, the good influence of others, filling our minds with Scripture and good scriptural teachings and examples, being students of the Word, being open to the Spirit's leading, And by practicing obedience to good biblical teachings and principles from God's Word and from His church, I believe that those things will work in our lives and they will work in the lives of our children as we apply these things and will help us to build convictions that are strong and that are in line with God's Word. And I think I probably came across clear in this, but I want us to clearly understand that if we want to build convictions and pass them on to our children, we as parents must first and foremost be focused on building good, godly convictions in our own lives, number one, first of all. We need to have something to pass on. We need to have something to demonstrate. Because you know some of these things that we have convictions for from a worldly standpoint don't make a lot of sense. The truth comes, the blessing comes in living them out. And if we don't stand on our convictions and live them out so our children can see they're going to miss out on that blessing and probably struggle to build convictions in those areas themselves. So I challenge each of you this morning to be men and women of conviction, to build convictions that are in line with God's word and to pass those convictions on to our children. And if you don't have children to the next generation as you have opportunity, as you have areas of influence, you'll be blessed. And the church will be blessed as well.